This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening? Not much, man. Uh, not a lot. Been a, been a bit of a crazy last week and just got a lot of stuff going on. So I took the day kind of easy. Uh, I did some work, but... I took the day a bit easy, which was great for my like self care. <laughs> Terrible for my calendar care. <laughs> yeah, I get that. So yeah, how are you? I'm all right, man. Um, making headway on the on the trailer, making headway. Good. Uh, it's it's looking good. Um, man, everybody on the podcast been hearing about it so much. We'll have to film an episode in it when it's all done. Yeah, I'm down. Um, I was actually gonna. I was actually thinking about doing a, a like a walkthrough video um, when it's all finished and posting it on social, on my social. So if you don't yeah. follow me, go follow me, hey. JC Ware ninety nine. Yeah, and uh, go follow him too. Your handle is Pastor Cullen, right? Everywhere, Pastor Cullen, everywhere. Yeah, he he got lucky that Pastor Cullen wasn't already taken. Yeah, it was weird how that worked out. Um, because previously you couldn't use titles like that in handles. Mm-hmm. And then I guess like right about the time I was trying to simplify it, I found a way to make it happen. Because I haven't found anybody else like that. Yeah, um, his his handle is super cool. And uh, I'm pretty jealous of it, to be honest. <laughs> Did you try for Pastor Clayton? No, but I'm not an ordained pastor yet, so I can't do that. That's true. We need to get on that pretty soon. Yeah. But... You got to pass all your ordination exams and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, once I do that, then uh, I probably will try. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's the whole thing. People just think that. Have you seen those memes where it's like, what my parents think I do as a pastor, what my <laughs> friends think I do, what I actually do? Oh my god, they're so funny. But people think it's easy to be a pastor. You just sit around, read your Bible, pray, like have these really intimate moments with Jesus. And then, like, it's not that at all. No. Ordination exams are not easy. You have to give defenses. Like, you sit before a panel. Gosh. Yeah, like, it's... That gives me a bit of anxiety, not going to (laughs) lie. You'll be fine, as someone who sat through those. Uh, But I will tell you, I think, just for me personally, my ordination examination uh, or my ordination council was more difficult to pass mm. than my thesis council. Really? Yeah. Three professors sitting on my thesis defense that I had to defend against. So much easier than my ordination council. Yeah. Wow. So we're talking about um, the the friends that, that brought their one friend to Jesus to heal, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a joke there. Four men and a friend walking to a bar. <laughs> yeah. Four men carrying their friend walking to a bar. Yeah. There's totally a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. So it's recorded in uh, at least two places. I can't, I don't think it's in the Luke or the John. It's definitely not in the John story, but it might be in the Luke story. But it's in Mark 2 and Matthew 9. 
Mark II is the more detailed version, and so that's why I picked to do it for this series. But if you watch the sermon, you know that my main point is, who are you having faith for? Yeah. Because, so as the story goes, the setup goes, they, Jesus finds himself in this house in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and like a crowd of people have gathered around. Yeah. So much so that when these four dudes bring their, their paralyzed friend up, they can't get through. And so as the story goes, this is crazy. I mean, you just you just think about this for a second. This is in Mark 2, picking up in verse 3. Four men tried to bring a crippled friend to him, but since the crowd prevented their carrying him close enough to get Jesus' attention, they climbed up onto the roof opened a hole in it, and lowered the paralyzed man on his mat down to Jesus. How awesome is that? <laughs> that is savage. <laughs> like, it, like in the truest sense of the contemporary usage of the word, that is savage. They are dismantling someone else's house. Yeah, <laughs> and we don't, we don't exactly know whose house this is. No, it's never talked about. It just says that Jesus... Came back into Capernaum and people heard where he was staying, mm-hmm. but we don't know whose house it is Mm-mm. or or what's happening. But they just roll up, and they're like, "This may be my one shot. <laughs> this may be my one shot." And so yeah. these people won't let me through. So, I mean, how how crazy do you gotta be? Hey, yo. Let's climb up on the roof and tear a hole in. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. That, that's one of those hold my beer situations. Oh, yeah. It's totally. It's like, what? I mean, and can you imagine Jesus yeah. there? And he's like, there's a, there are things falling from the, hey, um, host. Yeah. You, you got some roof problems here. Yeah. that I mean, that's another thing you got to think about, like, from the host perspective, right? Like, what's going through their head? Well, I think there's probably a conversation that happens between the host and Jesus in that moment. Yeah. That's not recorded in the text. Because mm. could you imagine like hosting Jesus? And number one, you probably have such anxiety that your house is like busting at the seams literally with people. Yeah. But then someone's tearing a hole <laughs> in your roof. Like middle of the living room, yeah. we're about to get an all open natural skylight. Yeah. So they tear this hole in, and it's not a small hole. No, it's got to be big enough to get a man through it. It's big enough to get a man. Like, laying down, not like yeah, yeah, long yeah, ways. Yeah, laying yeah. down not, on his back. Yeah, it's not like we're talking about sewer manhole yeah. side. Like, you're going down vertical. Yeah. We're going in horizontal style. Yeah. Homeboys laid up. Yeah, so they cut a big hole in this roof. Now, we have to say... In Capernaum, I'm not exactly sure what the housing yeah. material would have been. A little bit farther north, it's definitely made out of stone. Mm. It's probably some mixture of what we find between what's north and what's south in Nazareth. It's probably... Some mixture of 
wood and sticks and rocks and mud. Yeah. It's probably, um, I can't remember what you call it. What are the adobe, the Aztec adobes? What were they? They were made out of a certain kind of material and it was mud based as the binding agent. Okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it's all over South America and the Aztec region. Um, but anyways, it's probably some material like that. So definitely hard. Yeah. But not so hard that like quite a bit of work. Yeah. Now I will say it also ain't easy to repair. Right. So these men, they know what they're getting into. Number one, we're going to be damaging property. Yeah. So we're potentially going to put ourselves in a lawsuit. Yeah. And we're definitely going to have to fix it. Yeah. Which also tells me these men are probably day laborer carpenters like everybody else was. Right. I mean, that's the common job. Yeah. That That's pretty much what everyone did in that day. Yeah. They were either that or some kind of technical person. Like you did have, um, you did have things like blacksmiths and, and those kinds of crafts trade people. You had jewelers, right? You had all those kinds of people, but you really had day labor construction workers. And we, you know, Jesus, he said that he's the son of the carpenter. It's not really a good translation. Mm. It's construction worker because very little of what they build is out of wood. Okay. It's out of other materials, predominantly stone. They're masonry workers. So couldn't this be though that like he and Joseph were like building tables and chairs and stuff? So, nah, bro, that's an Americanized idea. Oh, uh, uh, I guess they didn't really have chairs. They sat on the floor while yeah, they, they lounged. Were. Yeah, but so you're really going for tables. Yeah, uh, and you're not making a full time business out of it. I mean, Nazareth, where Jesus is born, and where Joseph most likely mm-hmm. worked from before he died. Because the interesting thing is, by the time Jesus is a man. Like grown, we never hear of Joseph again. Right. So he probably dies when Jesus is young. Um, but Nazareth, we estimated only had about 200 people in it. Right. So it's small little town. Yeah, small little town. Yeah. Um, most high schools are bigger than that. I yeah. mean, just put that in perspective 200 people. Yeah. I mean, the neighborhood that I live in has more than 200 homes. Right. There's 200 people. Yeah. Um, very, it's a village. Yeah. Probably very close knit. Um, and so with that, as they're going about, there's not enough work there. I mean, if you're just picturing Jesus and, and Joseph posted up in their own little workshop making tables and chairs, like what is that scene from the passion narrative where he makes a chair? And tells Mary to sit in it. Is that from the Passion movie? Uh, I actually haven't ever seen that. I think it is. Correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. It's definitely from some kind of movie about Jesus. Where Jesus is like an innovative quote unquote carpenter. And he builds a chair for people to sit in and raises the table. And he has this like conversation with Mary. And Mary's like this is dumb. (laughs) Because like it's so foreign. Like it wasn't. And so if that's your mind of what a carpenter is. It's. No, it's just not that. Okay. Uh, people that were construction workers could make the little tables that they lounged at. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not their primary goal. So these men, because they feel confident enough to take on tearing a hole in this roof and knowing that they're going to have to either pay to fix it or fix it themselves, they're probably construction workers. Right. And so <laughs> you just think about this. They, as they're processing, they've walked to their friend, presumably from somewhere in the town. Excuse me. They walk their friend and they show up and they try to push through. And you got to imagine, they just walked four friends carrying a lame man on a mat. That ain't tired. That ain't light. Yeah. Trekking through. Right. And we, I think we take some of this stuff for granted because of modern technology, even just in our shoes. Right. We have those beautiful things called insoles. They don't have that. Yeah. That's not something, that's not a luxury that they know. Um, so they are probably plumb exhausted by the time they get there. And they're trying to push through this crowd, which seemingly is quite big. It yeah. says it overflowed from the house and into the streets. That's a whole lot of people. That is a lot of people. Um, and it's hard to know exactly what Capernaum would have had. But most people didn't live in homes like we think of them. Most people lived in like apartment buildings that had a common room. Yeah. So they would they would have like four four to six units and there would be a big common room. And very few people owned an entire home. Right. You owned a piece of a home. Right. You owned a fourth or a sixth. Uh, and sometimes if you owned a sixth, you could sell off half of it and only own a twelfth. Right. Um, so just very weird how it all worked in that regard. Um, but, sorry, that my math is wrong there. If you own a sixth and you sell half... No, it is. You would own a 12th. 12th. Yeah, you would own a 12th. Somebody else would own a 12th, which would be, um, yeah, one sixth. So, yeah. So, it's probably that these people are living in an apartment building where the bottom floor is, um, like some kind of atrium Mm -hmm. thing. And, then the apartments go off to the sides. Mm. And so you have this little like plateau out in the middle that would have been used for like the common space. And Jesus is in that common space teaching and the men climb up on that flat common space to tear the hole. So they're not actually going through someone's quote unquote living quarters, but they are going through the, the building that people use. And those, those living quarters are important. Like, so a lot of people have lots of gatherings and things in there. Like, that's, it's still an important space. It's just not somebody's primary living space. Right. And so these men are probably processing all of this and go, okay, this is not going to be just a total inconvenience if we do this and it takes us a week to repair it. Mm. But if they're repairing that free of charge, they're not going to get their salary as their day laborers. Right. So they're making a significant financial investment into this man's healing. Yeah. And here's the thing I love, and I talk about this in my sermon. 
the text says, and Jesus saw their faith. Yeah. It's unclear, but he hasn't seen any faith from the paralyzed man. Yeah. It's 110% been from the friends. Yeah. And so then there's this weird dialogue there about get up or son, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees like that's doing something else that I don't think we have time for. Mm-hmm. But then he tells him, get up, take your mat and go. Yeah. Wow. All because the faith of the friends. Yeah. And we, we as evangelicals, we don't think about it this way. Yeah. Because we've been so ingrained by the Reformation, by grace alone, through faith alone, that's how salvation happens. That's how restoration happens. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Don't yeah. hear me saying that. But what I am saying is that. That we might need to make space for this other idea too. Yes. I don't think it's quite that black and white. Because now I've given two examples where someone experienced healing because of someone else's faith. Yeah. Um. We just don't think about it. We don't think our faith actually has any impact on people outside of us. We might. I think the best Christians in the world today, when they talk about faith, they might have enough faith for their own finances. They might even have enough faith for their own marriage. Mm -hmm. Best case scenario they have enough faith for their kids. But that's about where it stops. Because honestly, I think that's where our care for people stops. Yeah. So I might be like looking, I might be reaching a bit here. And if I am, um, correct me. Okay. Um, But talking about all this, it, it makes me think of love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Okay. That's talking about love, right? Different mm-hmm. thing than faith. But um, if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, and if you have faith for your own situation, why wouldn't that translate over back to having faith for your neighbor? Yeah. So maybe. Like maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but. Well, I don't think it's a stretch. I think maybe a better example would be the golden rule. Oh, yeah, for sure. To, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, which is what you're talking about, but that comes from the golden rule. Um, I do think that's true. If you have enough faith for yourself, you should then in theory be able to have enough faith for Joe Blow down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of it is, I don't think we care. Yeah. Um, and whilst this is my challenge to you, we're coming into the Advent season. We've had a horrendous year. Dude, 2020 can go away. Like, I was following the 
like persecutions of the Christians that are happening in Africa right now. Yeah. Like, oh my God, 2020 needs to get the heck up off my property. Yeah. Um, it's been tough. It's been a crazy year. And yet I'm constantly reminded of the quote from Jonathan Edwards. Until we are utterly disgusted with our complacency of people going to hell, we'll never share someone into heaven. I mean, until we are just disgusted that people are without the saving knowledge of Jesus, we're never going to care that they're going to hell. And until we care that people are out there going to hell, we're never going to do a good job of evangelism. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe you know your neighbors. Maybe you don't. But literally think about the people that live next to you. Yeah. Um, do you know if they have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know what's going to happen if they die? Yeah, I think. And if you don't, that might should scare you a little bit. Yeah, so for me, I would I would like to draw um, a clarification point here. I don't think that it's ever acceptable for someone to say whether or not another person is saved. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. That's not our place to no, judge. And that's not what I was trying to say. No, no, no. I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to clarify that though. But Jesus does say you'll know them by their fruit. Yes. Which means, for me, I can tell you if someone is a Christian, yeah, but I'm not the decider of someone's status in salvation. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so I never want to say whether or not someone is saved or not. I will always say whether or not they are a Christian. Yeah. Because um, salvation is extremely personal from between a single person and God. Well, what does Paul say? Whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Yeah. It's like, well, that is a very, very minuscule ask, Paul. Yeah. That, like, the, um, it's not a tall order, for sure. It's really not. Yeah. And so, if you, it seems to me that you can be saved with very minimal effort, but minimal effort doesn't make you a Christian. Right. And so I want to I want to make that clarification there, but with that, I do think we can evaluate our neighbors and go, "Am I confident in their eternity?" Yeah. Um. And and if you're not, then what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Go. What talk are you to doing them. to build that relationship? Yeah. What are you doing to strengthen your impact in their life? What are you doing to show them that they care? Yeah. That, that you care about Abs- them. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the deal. Loving them. Right. Yeah. Nobody. I heard this analogy the other day in another context, but I thought it was so pertinent it, pertinent is somebody said if you find someone drowning do they need a swimming lesson Mm. 
Well, yeah, but not right now. <laughs> yeah, they need not to be while rescued. they're drowning. Yeah, they need to be yeah. rescued. It's unhelpful to see someone drowning and go, "Hey, man, you know, kick your feet and do kick like this, your feet <laughs> and, and punch those hands through the water to yeah. swim." Right? That's unhelpful when someone's drowning. Yeah. So with that, does someone need to be told that they're sinning? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, but like not, but in not the moment. when they're drowning. Yeah, um, um, they need to be rescued. Hundred percent. We haven't done a good job of caring for people enough to experience restoration. Yeah, um, these men have shown us the model. Yeah, I mean, put yourself as one of the men. Mm. All four of them have to go together. If one of them drops out, the job just got infinitely harder. Yeah. I don't think that we have one that would go to the extent of these men for restoration, for, for someone else. Notice, we didn't see any activity from the paralyzed man until he got up. Yeah. I'm not totally convinced he wanted to be there. Mm. I'm not unconvinced. Yeah. But that's I'm, a bit of speculation, but well, it's speculative also to say that he wanted to be there. Yeah. He's paralyzed. Yeah. It says that in the text, he is paralyzed. So, and because they bring him on a mat means he can't well, walk. Yeah. Well, obviously, but and I'm guessing not paraplegic. Mm. Okay. Wait, sorry. Paraplegic, no. just the lower half, right? Or just one half? I think so. I think quadriplegic is when you've got all four limbs are paralyzed. Correct us in the comments. Yeah, let us know. I'm sorry that I don't know this, but yeah. I think the man is 100% cannot move. Yeah. That's why they bring him on a mat. We see people often called lame, Yeah. which means they can't walk. Right. This man is uniquely called paralyzed. Yeah. I think he literally cannot move. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's logical. Um and so for me, Wellhouse Church, coming into the Advent season, I really, really, really want you to wrestle with this. Do you have enough faith? For someone else's restoration. If you do, now is the time. We know above any other time, Christmas and Easter is when people are open to faith. If you ever thought you would have enough faith for someone, the time is now.